So that's why today I want to share a few tips gained from my experiences as an entrepreneur uh, and how maybe they can help someone else turn what feels like a chaotic world into a world of opportunity. Uh, I hope that somewhere in my story, you can find something useful or maybe that helps a little bit um, to a situation that you're facing in your own life. Uh, before I go any further, let me briefly introduce myself. Uh, so my name is Sam Waldo. Uh, I'm an American, but I grew up all over. Uh, I was born in the Netherlands and my family moved from there to England and then Scotland, Texas, Kuwait, and Singapore. Uh, from kindergarten through the end of high school, I attended eight different schools. Uh, the hardest thing about this was missing out on feeling like I was really from somewhere. Uh, other kids always seemed to have deeper roots than I did. Uh, but the best thing about it was getting perspective and feeling perfectly comfortable being out of place. Uh, then I went to Columbia University in New York, where I studied Chinese and economics. I didn't have a plan when I started studying Chinese. Uh, it just seemed like an interesting challenge. I'd heard that it was a hard language to learn, and I'd heard that China was going to be a big deal. Uh, so I figured, you know, why not? Uh, this was in 2006, and I remember that this was the first year where there weren't enough seats in the introductory Chinese classes because supply hadn't yet caught up with the explosion of people like me who were curious to see what China was all about. Uh, and after graduating, I moved to Yunnan to teach English in a rural community for two years. Uh, while in Yunnan, I co-founded an organization called Education Insight, a nonprofit focused on providing vision care, eye health education and free prescription glasses to students in rural China. Since our founding, we've worked with over half a million students and donated almost 50,000 pairs of glasses. Uh, I also co-founded Mantra, a social enterprise and buy one, give one sunglasses brand. Uh, Mantra's story has been shared by hundreds of millions of people across China, uh, and we were clearly onto something with the idea that what brands you choose to wear and support can reflect not only your tastes and your economic status, but also your values. Uh, we were featured everywhere from CCTV to Vogue and had a never-ending parade of celebrities wearing our products. Uh, and my co-founder, Andrew, and I were named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Uh, but unfortunately, we didn't have enough momentum to carry us through the pandemic uh, and Mantra closed in 2021. Uh, since I left China earlier in the pandemic, I've gotten married, relocated to London, uh, got my MBA, uh, and I'm currently working on something that's entrepreneurial while not being an actual entrepreneur. More on that in a minute. Um, but most importantly, I would say uh, I'm currently uh, just a few hours away from the birth of my first child. So I'm actually dialing in from the hospital right now. Um, and uh, my, my wife is, is uh, early, early in labor. Um, so that's, that's pretty exciting and, and why there are these connection issues. So uh, with all of that said, um, uh, and after telling you a bit about my entrepreneurial story, uh, I have a confession to make, which is that I was actually quite a reluctant entrepreneur. Uh, in entrepreneurial circles, when you're speaking to investors or partners, employees or other entrepreneurs, uh, that's really not what anyone wants to hear. People really want to hear that entrepreneurship is in your blood, that you've just always been compelled to start businesses. As a kid, you should have started not just a lemonade stand, but a lemonade empire, enlisting all of your classmates and paying off your family's mortgage single-handedly by the age of eight. 
Uh, and then you coded a best-selling iPhone game by 13. And then as an undergrad, an undergrad you founded your first unicorn uh, just before dropping out of Tsinghua or Stanford. Now, I don't mean to be glib or dismissive. There are many inspirational stories of people for whom entrepreneurship just always seemed to make sense and who really did take the world by storm uh, as soon as they could stand. Uh, but that is not my entrepreneurship story. Uh, you can learn a lot from those natural born entrepreneurs, hard-won lessons from their time spent in nascent industries, mindsets and tools for creating something big in the world that didn't exist before. Uh, but I think there's something pernicious in these founding myths as well, especially the ones where the entrepreneur is really elevated as a virtuoso, a prodigy, one of a select chosen few who are destined to shape the world through the simple act of starting an organization. Uh, because if someone, if some people are destined to be entrepreneurs and to start the companies and the nonprofits that pioneer to te new technologies, new ways of organizing social resources and serve it as aspirational goals for generations of young people, if that destiny only belongs to a select few, then well, there's the natural question, what about everyone else? Let's go back to the reluctant beginning of my entrepreneurial story. So it was 2010, and I was living and teaching in a village called Yongbao, which is a gen or a market town outside of Yunxian, which is one of eight counties of Linsang, a prefecture about eight hours bus from Kuiming, which is the capital of Yunnan. Uh, I explained the remoteness of where I lived to friends and family back in the U.S., in terms of how long it took me to get to the nearest McDonald's, which back in 2010 was a full day's journey. Teaching did not go well for me at first. Uh, I was responsible for the English language education of 63 students ranging from ages 11 to 15. At the beginning, I had little understanding of the curriculum, little appreciation for the norms of and little concept of the challenges, desires, and family situations of my students. I fought to develop this understanding over the two years that I was living in Yunnan, and that time remains to this day the hardest thing that I've ever done. Uh, the pace and poor design of English language education in rural China, at least at the time, uh, was honestly horrendous and made it virtually impossible for my students to follow along. Uh, I had students who were constantly defiant, um, who would show up to class drunk or light up a cigarette in the middle of the classroom. Uh, and I also learned that reporting students um, would either lead to an increased chance they would drop out of school or even to physical violence from some of the other teachers. So I felt quite trapped uh, and I felt like I was well-meaning, but I, I was failing at this work I was trying to do. I was really focused on keeping my head above water and trying to avoid complete failure as a teacher. Uh, in the end, I think I succeeded uh, with the second highest pass rate in the school uh, and a number of students that I know I helped bring back from the brink of dropping out of school. Uh, but still, more than 20% of the students I began with in 2010 had dropped out of school by the time I left in 2012. So it was in 2011 when my teaching partner at the school, John, uh, approached me about donating glasses at the school, founding an organization. Uh, at that time, founding an organization was the furthest thing from my mind. John had a hypothesis that a lot of the students in his class needed glasses, but for some reason didn't have them. Now, I had never worn glasses before, so I wasn't particularly attuned to the problem, uh, but I was happy to help. Uh, it gave us both a sense that even if we were struggling in the classroom, we would be able to have a tangible, positive impact on our students' lives. 
In order to get glasses for our students, we had to get buy-in from our local principal, find a local doctor who was willing to partner with us and source a donation. But we ended up working together with two other schools in our volunteer teaching program that year and donating a few hundred pairs of glasses. Now, as you can imagine, the impact was astonishing. Uh, of my classroom of 52 students, it turned out that 14 had undiagnosed vision problems. For each of these students, they went from seeing a blurry black blackboard and struggling to read to being able to see clearly overnight. I'm sure many in this audience are wearing glasses or contacts right now. If you think back to when you first found out that you needed glasses, and just imagine what it would be like if you had to spend 70 hours a week in a classroom year on year uh, without, those, without those glasses that you needed. So the positive impact to our students was profound. We kept the work going and our little program eventually turned into Education Insight, which is still operating today. But at the time, uh, I didn't think about what we were doing as entrepreneurship. We didn't plan to found an organization that would scale and we didn't imagine that we'd still be working on these same problems nearly 10 years later. So this is the first lesson that I really want to share with you all today. It's about achieving results and being entrepreneurial, not about being an entrepreneur. It's not a binary thing of, am I an entrepreneur because I founded a business or raises, raised a bunch of money? Rather, being entrepreneurial is an attitude towards approaching problems. It's an open-minded idea of what you can accomplish, and it's focused on getting something done and the results you create rather than simply the time or work you put into something. If one path doesn't work, you try another, because being entrepreneurial is a creative process of discovery. So looking back, I've realized that even if I didn't consider us to be entrepreneurs at the beginning, our behavior was still entrepreneurial. And entrepreneurial behavior doesn't have to have all of the ambition of entrepreneurship. It's not something you need to decide to be or to quit your job to become. It doesn't take anything other than just getting started. That little vision project we started, a few hundred pairs of glasses at a few schools, demonstrated this most important aspect of being entrepreneurial. Being entrepreneurial, by my definition, means a willingness to get your hands dirty and to attack a problem when there's no precedent for what to do in order to fix it. There was no one we could go to and ask, hey, we want to do this. What are the 10 steps to make it happen? There was no playbook. We couldn't Google it. There was no guide on YouTube or Douyin for how a group of Americans and Chinese could start related nonprofit and rural Yunnan. Bringing something like this to life required a lot of trial and error, a lot of failure, and a lot of rejection, a lot of, frankly, wasted time doing things that didn't work. We invested years in partnerships that ultimately went nowhere. For example, our first big donor was an events company based in Chengdu. Uh, this was before we were working full-time on education and site. We took vacation to fly out there and spent three days meeting with the CEO to lay out a whole plan for how they're going to help us expand uh, to 50 schools, 10 times what we'd done so far. And we were going to become their core charitable project. So Andrew and I, uh, we both quit our jobs off the back of this promise. My co-founder, Andrew, moved from the U.S. to Beijing to run the program together with me. Uh, and then um, that partner uh, disappeared entirely. Uh, that company just changed their minds and stopped responding to our messages. Um, and and uh, we ended up with no donation at all. And we felt like uh, complete fools. This made us question our audacity. What did a couple of American 24-year-olds know about Chinese government relations or nonprofit governance or municipal health infrastructure in these rural communities? It sparked a real crisis of confidence in me. Were we really the right people to be doing this? 
I imagined the dream team that would be leading our organization. It would be composed of eye doctors and professional philanthropists, people with money or government connections. And it made me feel like, who was I to be doing this? Who were we? I think someone maybe should mute uh, who's on the online call. Okay, I'm going to unmute myself. Um, so who was I to be doing this? Who were we? Uh, this feeling stayed with me for a few months, uh, and it had a big impact on my confidence. I thought long and hard about whether we'd made the right choice or if we were just indulging our egos by trying to create a new organization rather than just joining something else that someone was already doing. Uh, but ultimately, while we were on a school visit in Shangri-La County in Northwest Yunnan, it dawned on me. Uh, it didn't matter at all that there were these hypothetical people, these hypothetical teams that were more qualified than me and who could do this work. Because whoever those people were, they weren't here and they weren't doing the work. And if we gave up, then no more qualified group would come and replace us. For me, this thought was hugely important in overcoming my own imposter syndrome. The crucial conclusion is the second takeaway I want to share with you today, that if you're doing it, then you're the one who should be doing it. There is no right person. It's impossible to find a right time. Uh, and basically, if you're getting your hands dirty, then that project is yours to lead. For us, there was no other group of people who had taken the entrepreneurial approach and taken the risk to solve this problem that we were addressing at Education Insight. So if you're the one making mistakes and pushing a project forward day by day, there's no such thing as being the right person. It is you. You are the right person. I've been thinking about this lesson a lot lately as I prepare for fatherhood, uh, because I think there are a lot of parallels between being a parent and starting an organization. There's a lot of pressure to be perfect, to make all the right decisions, to nurture your baby, whether that baby is a human or an organization, and to give them the best possible life. But ultimately, you know, as a father, you are that child's parent. You are the one, or you are the one leading that organization. So time spent thinking about or worrying about how someone else would be a better founder or a better father, well, that's just wasted effort and wasted time. So our little organization overcame our early crisis of confidence and we persevered and we found other more reliable donors to support our work and our team grew and bit by bit, we improved and we hired good people. Uh, and along the, along the way, we got another idea to start a social enterprise, which became Mantra. So we founded Mantra because we were running our nonprofit at Education Insight, and we constantly had a lot of encouragement and positivity from the Chinese people, uh, largely our acquaintances in Beijing. Everyone wanted to get involved, wanted to help, wanted to be associated with something that was creating good in the world and helping rural communities in China. So we thought, let's find a way to bring together all of the energy in China's cities with the need in China's countryside. If we could find a way to transfer a bit of that energy to build an engine where the positivity and good intentions of our friends in Beijing could be translated into meaningful change for our students in the countryside, well, that could be a really powerful thing. So we decided to found a sunglasses brand and use part of the profits from each sale as a donation to our nonprofit. That way, the more successful our business, the more we would be able to grow the nonprofit. We saw this as solving two problems at once. It would be a source of scalable funding for the nonprofit because a business can grow a lot faster than our donor pipeline. And it would provide a unique advantage for a business, a unique emotional and values-based reason for customers to support our brand. And we'd be able to provide a lot of uh, value and happiness to our customers at the same time. So the best thing about Mantra is that it was such an unusual idea 
to almost everyone who heard it. We were coming at a hybrid e-commerce, fashion, lifestyle brand, social media, marketing industry. We were doing it completely backwards. We didn't start with the product or the design or the logistics or a better price point or a celebrity uh, endorsements. Rather, we started with something that is way down the list for most brands, which is our story and our values. Now, this approach had pros and cons. On the pros side, we had customers and fans that cared not just about what we were selling, but who we were and why we were selling it. This helped our story go viral and reach over 300 million people across China. This meant that a lot of other brands and businesses wanted to collaborate with us because they knew we had something they didn't. We were unique. But this approach also presented a lot of challenges. And who knows, maybe Mantra would still be here today if we had some of the advantages of a more traditional uh, business. Uh, if we had factory connections, celebrity connections, or background in fashion media, for example. However, even though Mantra ultimately closed, uh, if I could go back and do it again, I really think we were in a very strong position. There are a lot of people out there with glasses factories or celebrity friends or e-commerce partnerships, those kinds of traditional resources that you'd want in this type of business, but those things are also commodities, whereas we had something truly special that no one else could replicate. So this is the third takeaway I want to share, which is that being entrepreneurial means pushing your mind to think about the small way or a large way, but an entrepreneurial mindset often means doing something differently than it's been done before. It's pretty easy to say this, and it might sound rather trite, that thinking outside the box is not necessarily a new idea, of course, uh, but when I think about my own entrepreneurial experience, this lesson really rings true. One of the most common conversations I had with people about mantra in China uh, was that the person I was speaking to, they loved the people, other Chinese people wouldn't love the idea. A lot of people that I talked to about Mantra in the early days said, oh, this is great, I would love to support, uh, support this, but at the same time, they didn't think other people would go along. The big aha moment for me was thinking, actually, people think other people don't care because they haven't gotten the opportunity to see any different. It was through imagining a world where a brand like Mantra had succeeded and became popular that I was able to push, uh, push through and turn this idea into a reality. So since leaving my kind of entrepreneurial bubble in Beijing, uh, I realized that it's actually really rare in the world to find people with this kind of entrepreneurial mindset. Most people in the world really don't think this way. Uh, they think, well, I've done what I was supposed to do. I've done my job. So what happens after that isn't my problem. I see this all the time in business and government and people's personal lives. It's really normal for many of us to think about what we're supposed to do to do that and then to expect the, work, the rest will work out. When you're, surrounded by, when you're surrounded by people who are used to being entrepreneurial, it's jarring to encounter people who aren't, uh, which isn't to say that being entrepreneurial is the only thing or the most important thing, but I think that what is really important and what I'd encourage anyone to focus on developing is to really focus on the outcomes and the changes you want to achieve and not the hurdles or the process or just the individual steps that are right in front of your face. Having an outcomes-focused mindset instead of an inputs-focused mindset, I think is hugely powerful. It pushes you to get creative and think your way through or around the perceived barriers to achieving your goals. So that's a few of the lessons that really resonated for me uh, from my time founding and running two organizations in China between 2011 uh, and 2021. 
today, I'm still doing entrepreneurial work. Uh, I'm working uh, as part of a small team uh, that's working on a startup uh, here in London. Um, but uh, our team is inside a larger organization. And so the risks and rewards to me are very different. But the entrepreneurial mindset I developed uh, during my time in China remains the same. And I often return to reflect on the lessons that I learned. Uh, and again, those are first, being entrepreneurial is about being open-minded to achieving results. Don't just think about what the next step is or what your input is, but think about if you get blocked by one path, find another way around, think creatively and don't take, it's kind of like, don't take no for an answer. Um, but it's not that you push on one door and keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking until it opens. Uh, rather, you need to think kind of creatively, be a, a very uh, open-minded problem solver. Uh, second, um, the right person, the second lesson that I learned is the right person to do something is the person that does it. That right person can be you, even if you don't feel like you fit the profile. Really, this is about just getting started and don't let yourself talk, uh, talk yourself into uh, waiting or finding some other resource or some other person that should be doing this instead. If it's something that you care about that you want to bring into the world, then just make it happen. Um, and third is to just think about the world, not just is to not just think about the world as it is, uh, but as it could be. Um, it's really easy to get bogged down and to think about how much things are going to have to change in order for your vision to become a reality or for something to uh, something to, to, to get started or to happen. Um, but if you're stuck in that mindset of just thinking of all the negatives and all the reasons that something can't happen, um, then you'll fall into that same trap and you'll never get started. Um, so for the last uh, for the last minute, I just want to put my notes away and kind of change subject just very slightly, uh, just for a second. Um, I just want to express because I think this is a really great opportunity and the first opportunity I've had in a couple of years to address um, a primarily Chinese audience. Um, and I just wanted to say that you know, as an American who left China in December 2019, uh, it's really great, and I particularly. Uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to, to speak with um, all of you here. Uh, you know, when I left China, it was with an ongoing business that I was still running, uh, and half of my belongings were still packed up in our offices, um, and, and I haven't had the chance to come back in, in uh, two and a half years now. Um, so I just want to say that I really, uh, I really miss, I really miss China. Uh, I miss, uh, you know, the types of events that you guys are putting on. It's really wonderful uh, that, uh, and I really appreciate the invitation, especially appreciate the invitation to be here uh, today um, because it does feel like there's, you know, less, there are fewer avenues for dialogue these days. There are fewer of these types of, you know, human to human, person to person connections um, than, than there were before, uh, before the pandemic. And, you know, to some extent that means that our societies uh, maybe you're growing further apart than they've been for a long time. Um, so I, I don't have any answers for this, uh, but it definitely makes me relish uh, this opportunity to speak with you guys and, and to say, uh, you know, thanks very much. Uh, thanks very much for allowing me to, to share with you here today um, and, uh, and giving me this opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, really hope that we can kind of get back to, uh, you know, freely uh, visiting one another and I, I'll get the chance to come back to China uh, and pick up the stuff that I left in my office, uh, as well as uh, uh, have some have some of that good authentic Chinese food, which you just can't get anywhere else. Um, so thanks, uh, thanks very much, everyone. Um, yeah, thank you.